A, you got to do your job, but I would recommend doing it in a way where you can transform the delivery of it. And as I think about me and Daryl, so you look at me now, okay, 20 years later, yeah, you can say don't do busy work because you have a title and authority, quote unquote, and a brand. I'd say, no, I mean, I'm looking at Daryl now. I mean, we didn't have any authority. We, we, we were the low men on the totem pole. But I think what allowed us to uh, grow in our career and minimize the busy work was recreating the work. Almost 20 years ago, our paths crossed in the sneaker world. And since then, we have been on a professional and personal journey together. We've made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of fun and even a few wins along the way. Our goal is to share our experiences and insights so you don't have to make some of the same errors that we did. And in addition, we want to help you begin to think about things a little different. So join us as we unpack our unsolicited and sometimes polarizing views on business, faith, and family with questions that make you want to unfollow. Episode 12. Can you believe that we made it all the way here so far? I can't believe we made it, but... Pretty happy about that. I think the flip side of that is we are still in the middle of a global pandemic and there's earthquakes and there's craziness going on. But so we're going to keep this podcast going um, just to give ourselves an outlet for creativity as well. So, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in, joining us to feedback. If you're first time listening to us, feel free to subscribe, share, give us a review, give us some feedback, send it to Daryl. And he'll be sure to get it to me if it's negative. Now, if it's good feedback, give it to me as well. But thank you guys for rocking with us 12 episodes in. Yeah, man. I think it's fair to mention that we've got two more episodes and we'll be done with season one. Um, And then we're going to shift the format a little bit. So we've been doing this long format where, you know, we kind of roll for about an hour, kind of stream of consciousness. We've been going through old info, what we've learned, and then kind of new info where we're headed. And I think what we're going to do is create a little bit of an interlude there and do some mini sessions moving forward. And then we'll pick up again and do season two. You and I, number one, just enjoy doing this. But I think number two, just to kind of change up the cadence, it'll be fun. Yeah, that's going to be cool. Yeah, we'll do some bite-sized little segments. Uh, A, because people don't have long commutes oftentimes. So a lot of people are listening while they're like making lunch or cleaning up right quick. And so make it easier for you guys to tune in all, all in one sitting. But yeah, looking forward to that. Many more, I think, concepts, hopefully some crazy stories about exploding cows and (laughs) failures from Adrian, uh, but hopefully nuggets of wisdom as well. So tonight we're super excited to bring to you 12th episode, drum roll, we're going to talk about dangerous decoys. Yeah, you got that right. We're not duck hunting here. We're talking about dangerous decoys. And the question of the night is this, Daryl. Why are we so good at getting business so wrong? Why have we gotten so good at aiming at the wrong targets? We think we're pursuing one thing. Do you know what? It doesn't all shake out. So when you realize that the appearance of success is getting in the way of actually achieving success, what do you do to pivot, right? What happens when the perception of progress becomes more important than actual progress? And I think we all have moments like that where... You know, you can look like you're doing good, but really not. Or you can have a project that looks great and you can spin it. It's not really all it shakes up to be. So we're going to just dig into yeah. that tonight. So a little bit of business, some marketing as well. But we'll try yeah. to zoom out for most of our general listeners to give you some really practical, I think, tips, but also some experiences about, hey, recognizing when you're following a decoy, when it's something that, you know, is a goal worth hitting and when it's a goal worth letting go. And I think the question we should keep coming back to is, is why are you working around the actual thing that you're supposed to be doing? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm expert at that. Daryl's smiling at me. <laughs> so, hey, okay, so here's a good setup. Here's is the best example of a dangerous decoy, but not so dangerous. So I remember a few years ago when I started to actually run more than like a 5K and I went to the running store and I bought some shoes and, you know, you got some gear because now I'm like actually running. You know, you got to get like cream for your nipples because <laughs> when you run, they start, you know, like, hey, I'm a serious runner. I'm training for a half marathon at the time. 
gotta get your nipple cream and you gotta get you got fitted for shoes right so you gotta like actually yeah. like get on a treadmill and they like take a video of you running and they I mean I got fitted out I get to the register to check out and I see this stack of stickers that say 13.1 and 26.2 I think oh my gosh like I can just like buy one right here. Like the stickers that people put on their car, the decal that says, hey, I ran a marathon. I ran a half marathon. I was like, man, why am I putting nipple cream on and training at 6 a.m. in the morning when actually I could just buy the sticker, put it on my car and get credit from Mm -hmm. strangers, at least for running my half marathon. And I think obviously I didn't end up buying the sticker. I ended up actually doing the training to, mm-hmm. to run a couple half marathons. But now, I say that in jest, but I think if I'm being honest here, if I take yeah. a big step back, especially as a marketer mm-hmm. of a well-known brand uh, and, you know, a, a 20-year career of brands of varying sizes <laughs> and success stories, to be quite honest, I've had moments in marketing and in business where it's easier to, I won't take, yeah. take a shortcut, so I'm not cutting corners but it's easier to solve for the vanity or the appearance of success yep. than actually doing the hard work. It's easier to solve for the short term yeah. than actually do the long term work of building the brand, building the business and the campaign. Yeah. And there's always that tension in between. But I think tonight, you know, as, as we share, it really is like when you reach the point where the short term is getting in the way of long term, mm-hmm. that's when you got to call it. And I think that's when you got to walk away from the 13.1 sticker get your butt up at 6 a.m., go for the run, and earn your half marathon sticker, uh, maybe like I did, with nipple cream. How did your first half marathon go? Oh, man, it was actually great. I ran the whole time. I think there were some old people that, like, beat me. Old as in, like, 60-plus that, like, finished before me. But, I mean, from a guy that was not a runner before and to actually train and go towards running, Mm -hmm. to me – I'll take it. Yeah. So it was, I'd say success because I finished without passing out and I ran the entire time without stopping. So boom, success. <laughs> you know, when you brought up this topic of dangerous decoys, you're right. The first thing I thought about was duck hunting. Um, I've got a really good friend who you've met that runs a winery here in Virginia and his name is George and George is an avid duck hunter. Like George is that guy that if it's duck season, he's out on the pond and you know, they take these decoys so seriously because there's something about like if a duck believes that that decoy is real, then it's somehow safe to land on the water. It's okay. Right. So I think the same is true for us, even with your sticker analogy, right? Like there, there are these times when we're flying over and we see other decoys or other ducks on the water and we're like oh well those look like real ducks those look like people who know what they're doing those look like success let me just float on down here and the moment we do bang we're dead i think so often in my early career um, the truth was is that there were these decoys of awards for example Um, in advertising and marketing there's a thing called the addy award Um, especially when you're coming right out of college, like these things are always in front of you that like, Oh man, these people have won these awards or you should, you know, try to win these awards. And so we did, we went after some of these awards and those awards never got me anything else. Like the award was only good for the award. It never got us any extra business. We didn't make any extra money from the awards and we won tons of Addy awards early in my career. And so I think for me, those decoys on the pond have often been awards. Those type of awards specifically in trades or organizations, man, they can be such a distraction to stay away from. Yeah, no, I agree. I can think about my own career where, uh, you know, won some awards that I thought were meaningful, but several, you know, A, <laughs> if you ever enter, you're, it's an entry fee. And like, you got to realize that people are making money. Yeah. This is a, this is a revenue source. And so I think just taking it to marketing and even in larger business, there's an entire shadow industry of conferences, yep. awards, plaques, podiums, keynotes, conferences. Yep. We travel all across the globe. To win, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes now. You can't, you can't see me, but you gotta hear these air quotes. To win 
something that should give us a badge, should yep. give us a beacon that, hey, we are worthy. We're successful. Our ideas are worthy as judged by who who knows. All right? um, and I get invitations all the time to either be a judge or, or do some things. And all of them aren't bad. But here's here's the thing about decoys and what makes them sometimes dangerous. Right. So a decoy changes how you value the actual target. Yeah. Right. So think about yeah. that duck flying head. It changes how you value the actual target. And it takes advantage of your desire to avoid loss. Because the truth is, nobody wants to fail, right? And so if we input the effort to actually be successful, whether it's running that marathon and training, whether it's doing what you got to do in your business, taking the long term, there's a chance you're going to fail. And I think decoys often uh, become just an easy way to justify something. Um, I'll, I'll share a story. And Daryl knows this individual, so we won't mention any names, but I've always saw this as a cautionary tale of when a decoy uh, career or decoy perception goes wrong. Mm. Um, so we both knew and worked uh, with uh, a smart guy. I mean, the marketer, he was uh, one actually young in my career was one of the, you know, it was a person that took me under their wing. And I remember, um, he, I saw the warning signs early, even as a young guy in, in marketing, I kind of knew it. Like he actually valued the perception of social success, mm-hmm. the industry influence and the prominence before he had earned it. Mm-hmm. And so he always wanted to kind of be in the spotlight, always wanted, always with a name dropper, always wanted you to know who he knew, yeah. who he connected you with. It was, it was as if it's the kind of person that if he worked at a bank counting a billion dollars, he would think he was a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Like the fact he had access to budgets and celebrities and events and talent, that doesn't make you Beyonce. That just means like <laughs> you're a marketing person mm-hmm. that works with, you know, talent and money. Um, and I remember it all blew up one day. I woke, woke up early one morning and something just went left on a campaign he was working on. And this is the worst case scenario because it got out into the public. And so now mm-hmm. there are people on air on a radio station who are talking about this uh fell this epic kind of disaster and that's when it all fell apart this whole house of cards Mm -hmm. so the contacts the awards the social standing all fell apart i remember uh talking to him afterwards he ended up you know losing his job and it all fell apart because he invested so much of his time and effort and energy towards pursuing this perception that he was the man and not just like nurturing the actual business to to shore it up and to me that was always a cautionary tale and and i think uh, i've learned a lot from that and i think you know the the big takeaway is this is like you know you can construct an entire career or a business out of essentially doing nothing there are people that do it i'm not hating though if you have a career where you can actually like get by Mm -hmm. i'm not hating like good for you but i think you know Sometimes it can just be a lazy, a layaway plan for lazy leadership. Yeah. And I think sometimes you got to just push towards towards the mark as well. So, yeah. uh, Daryl, I know you know who I'm talking yeah, about. So uh, I'm not going <laughs> to. But that's always my cautionary tale. Yeah. Oh, I saw him yeah. popped up on LinkedIn last <laughs> week and I thought, man, stay away from that one. Um, you know, I think the verse in Proverbs uh, 1423 comes to mind in this situation. It's one of my favorites. It's all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. It's one that I come back to in so many situations, whether it's been in race relationships, whether it's been at church, whether it's been in my work, um, whether it's been in my family, right? Like all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. And that guy that you just described, man, he was all talk. And no hard work. Um, And I wonder why that is. So I wrote down three points on why we are working around the actual thing that we're supposed to be doing. Question number one is because we don't want to do it. Is the thing that we're actually supposed to be doing, do we just not want to do it? Question number two, is it that you don't know how? Like if you were to be brutally honest, do you not know how to do the thing that you're supposed to be doing? And then number three, do you just lack the confidence? Like that's probably the most vulnerable um, question to have to ask yourself. But do I just really lack the confidence? Do I not think that I'm good enough to do this? Of those three, Adrian, which do you think you've most often fallen into the category of? Oftentimes it's lack the confidence. 
I think it's very easy to come into a situation where because you don't have maybe faith in your skill set or you feel inexperienced. And here's the key. Free advice being inexperienced doesn't mean you're unqualified. But sometimes you think your lack of experience means you're unqualified. So then you grab a hold to, I think, those decoy results. So whether it's, oh, I got to lead a campaign. Ah, you know what? I'm not quite sure. So, hey, let's just let's let's shore up our results with some awards mm-hmm. or let's do the little stunty thing for press that doesn't actually drive sales, but it gets us talked about. Yeah. Right. And so it's almost like we end up hedging our bets. Um, and I think it's such a natural thing to do because we're unsure. And so we let that uncertainty drive us into a place of uh, spreading our focus out versus what we should do is focus down. Um, I'll tell a story, you know, when I started at Radio Shack um, in 2009-10, so I just, um, my first job, corporate job in four years. So I was coming back into corporate after being an entrepreneur for a few years and I was coming back into social media. So they had hired me to be the social media manager at the time. So 10 years ago, I was writing tweets for Radio Shack. I joke all the time and I didn't know how to do that job. Like they, the fact they hired me because if they hired a social media expert, they would have had to fire them if they messed up. So they hired me like I was the decoy. Like they hired me as the guy that let's give it a try. But if you mess up, like because social media was so new, we'll just put you in a, a, another marketing role. We haven't risked a lot. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it was a way to hedge their bet. So I was the decoy. Um, yeah. And so it's crazy. But what I did, and I won't say it's because I was wise. I think it was because I knew after coming off, you know, uh, being my own uh, business owner, I knew I had to get this one right. I took a year off. I took a gap year. I didn't. I stayed off social media. I didn't speak at any conferences. I didn't apply for any awards. I knew this was not the time to try to look successful. I need to spend just a full year, 12 months learning, listening to agencies. I went to conferences and learned. I didn't go to conferences to speak. I was not on anybody's stage. I was learning the practice and the expertise of of social media. I didn't know it. Right. And then you fast forward a year after that. Then, yeah, I got it. And so I went from in 18 months reading a book called Groundswell, which was like, the social media book back in the day. Like it was the only book that could show you how to run social media for a business at that time. I went from reading that book with no knowledge of social media to 18 months later, I'm standing on stage getting an award from the author of the book because we did social media so well at Radio Shack um, as a team, right? Now I got to accept on behalf of the team, but that wouldn't have happened if I had just jumped to, hey, let me just solve for looking like I know social. And so I think part of the big learning is it's not even the lack of confidence. It's just the ability to say, I don't know, to ask for help, to get input as well. And it's the ability to just learn, man. Like the ability, if you're never the fat guy at the gym, you're never going to be the fit guy. Like at one point, you got to just say enough is enough. Be the out of shape guy on that first day of, uh, of the course in CrossFit. Be that like silly guy that asks all the questions on the first day of work because he just doesn't know how this company works. It's okay to move outside your comfort zone. And so that's what I learned is confidence. But I think it's an underlying piece of like taking the time to be more disciplined about how you learned and being okay, not being a know-it-all. So I think the other side of a dangerous decoy is uh, the perception of decoys, right? So now putting yourself on the other side of things and looking kind of at other people or other brands or other um, marketing campaigns, there's a risk of thinking that it's all real. And you and I both know because we've been on the backside of all that stuff that like a lot of times it's not real. In fact, you and I know what goes into so much of those campaigns or how much is thrown together kind of at the last minute, you know, or, and to be honest with you, how much of the budget really is used for fluff um, as opposed to like real talent work. Um, so one of the things that I would encourage you to do early on in your career, if I could go back in time and do it again, is don't believe everything that you see and definitely don't believe everything that you read, right? So, hey, when you see somebody, whether it's an individual in, in the field, right, or whether it's uh, a piece of work that's out, like don't believe that it's all real, right? There's a, there's a, the big truth behind the fact that uh, 
you're going to find out that the guy behind the curtain a lot of times is not really the agency, for example, right? So the agency may not have actually ever really done the work. The marketing agency probably subcontracted that out to some really talented guy in the basement in his house in Virginia. Oh, shots fired. Shots <laughs> fired. Oh. Yeah. Um, so that's that's number one. Um, and then I think number two, just because there's an, a bunch of awards or a, a bunch of certificates attached to an individual or an agency or even a business, like doesn't mean that they're actually really good at achieving uh, business success. It means that they're good at winning awards. It doesn't mean that they're good at uh, putting money back on the bottom line. So you've got to decide, hey, w- what do I want to be a part of? Do I want to be a part of something that's real and something that's really making money and really seeing success? Or do I want to be good um, at, with a group of people that are good at collecting ribbons and you know trophies that hang on the wall? <laughs> Participation. I mean, it's so funny. Um if you think about marketing, and so if you're not in marketing, just kind of a quick like history lesson, right? So marketing is a practice, mm-hmm. like you know, it's a job of marketing. Which like no kid, anytime I get invited to speak at like a, um, a like a career day, like no kid, like huh? Yep. You do what? Like nobody understands what marketing is. They think you make videos or that you shoot commercials. I'm like no, and then I ask, they ask ten questions. I'm like, well, I, I wrote the brief. That then went to the age like so no one understands what the heck I do anyway. But remember, think about marketing as a practice. It's one of the youngest professions in the world. So think about medicine, art, law, science, like even construction or accounting. These are disciplines that have been around for centuries. And so we've had time to like get best practices and learn from each other. And, you know, like, oh, how did this culture do it? Marketing. I mean, we kind of made up marketing uh, as it is in its modern form less than a century ago. Like it's, you know, it's past, call it 50 to 60 years in its current form. And so what happens is, I mean, the truth is this, is what Daryl said is like most advertising or creative that you see, it's really created to satisfy an internal need. It has so much less to do with consumers than what we would offer. It really is about who wants to see this, who has a connection there, Who's in charge? Who's the approver? I remember at Foot, uh, Foot Locker, the Foot Locker, I was a national advertising manager. I did all the ads, TV, radio, print, uh, billboards, digital. So I was the Foot Locker advertising guy. Um, and I did uh, Champs and Kids Foot Locker, et cetera. So you would think I was the advertising man. I wasn't. Like I, I had a sign I've put um, on my cube called, I make ads, not decisions. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. And it, it meant that I don't, my job is to just get the creative done. The decision over what it is and how it's going to look is not mine. Cause I got so frustrated because I knew what good creative looked like. I knew what the, cause like, and so I would argue trying to push for quote unquote, what I was, what was right. And oftentimes you end up having to do what, what somebody, um, somebody's preference, yeah. you know, somebody likes red versus blue. Somebody likes, you know, this athlete versus that yeah. one. And so you end up realizing that like, like these decisions aren't made because they're scientifically proven. They aren't your sales driving. These aren't business Titans that are like so in tune with customer needs. They're kind of just, I don't want to say making it up. What's a nice way to say making it up. I think they're just emotional decisions. Yes. They are emotional decisions. That's a better way to say it. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make, right? And this is a sidebar, but they think that their audience is them. So in marketing, one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is, you know, you think that you're marketing to yourself. And then the second thing there, and we keep this quote on the wall at my office is don't shop with your own wallet. Same idea, but your limitations are not someone else's limitations. I mean, the, the clientele that we serve is super affluent. And so their limitations are well beyond mine. And so what I think is expensive or unattainable to them, you know, it's lunch money. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, judging by your real estate portfolio, I think you're there, buddy. You're you're, you're on on your way there. That that might have to be the next, um, I think, episode. We're going to have to have Daryl break, break down uh, all his real estate and investing knowledge. So we too 
can be on our path to being a high net worth individual like he is. Man, Please. let's just hope it all sells one day. <laughs> <laughs> I love okay, it. Okay, so it. let me ask you this question. When you first brought the idea of dangerous decoys, I thought of busy work. And as you talk about decks and briefs, oftentimes I, I think about busy work. In fact, when I speak to people in college right now, one of the things that I tell them, the truth bomb is, is that the majority of your work early in your career will never leave someone's inbox. So that work was never going to see the light of day. It's, it's going to go to somebody's inbox. It's going to sit in their email. They're going to look at it and say, great, thanks. And then you're going to have to go on and do the next thing. Um, would you agree with busy work being a decoy? And, and how can we avoid that? I think busy work is one of the uh, primary sources of, I think, decoys just because, hey, it gives a perception of productivity. Hey, I'm right. busy and I'm producing something. But a lot of times you're just producing activity. You're mm-hmm. producing papers and meetings and points of view. And so the challenge, though, is this. And you know it because either uh, in your previous work or people you work with is that like in corporate, a lot of us. But busy work is a part, is the language of, right. of business sometimes. Not all businesses. I think there are businesses that do it correctly. But I think corporately, we start to solve smaller and smaller problems using bigger and bigger resources. Yeah. And it, it becomes all about these points of view. And so I can't, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, into it is where I, you know, academy company, I learned so much there. But I mean, I did more PowerPoints there than I've yeah. ever done in my life just because Every time you know you had a point of view, you had to pull together slides and the team and the meeting, et cetera. And so I think I've always been really bullish on minimizing the busy work. What is yeah. the least amount of work we have to do internally to get make this decision and then go out and learn fast? And so yeah. I think what people don't realize is they I think you think your busy work is harmless. You think it's only wasting a little bit of time. But remember, every time you accept busy work, your team is accepting it with you. Somebody's mm-hmm. got to review it. It's time that you could have spent doing something else. So it's the opportunity cost because you're focused on this internal document or this uh, the perception of alignment, the perception of agreement versus actually driving a sale, learning the customer. Then you end up missing an opportunity. And so now I abhor uh, busy work. Try to eliminate it. You can ask my team. I yeah, it's it's I have a bullseye for trying to get rid of it because um, it, it wastes so much time and energy. Well, let me push on that a little bit. So I'm early in my career. It's my first job. My title has the word coordinator in it. (laughs) I'm being handed what I believe is busy work. What do I do? I would, A, you got to do your job, but I would recommend doing it in a way where you can transform the delivery of it. And as I think about me and Daryl. So you look at me now, okay, 20 years later. Yeah, you can say don't do busy work because you have a title and authority, quote mm-hmm. unquote, and a brand. But I'd say, no, I mean, I'm looking at Daryl now. I mean, we didn't have any authority. We, 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 we were the low men on the totem pole. But I think what allowed us to uh, grow in our career and minimize the busy work was recreating the work. And so I think here's, here's the reality. So I can speak as the 20-year-old Adrian and the 40-year-old Adrian simultaneously. When your boss or your team gives you a challenge, they actually are giving you an opportunity to recreate the work. And so as a leader, yeah, I might have a, a system or a template I want you to do, but at the end of the day, I want the result. If you find a better way, a smarter way to do it, go for it. And so what I would recommend is that you start to test those things, start to do it differently. Like do the report in one page versus 10. Uh, just try it. Now you might have to do the 10, 10 page version too, right? Um, but yeah, start to iterate on those small things because I think your manager, your supervisor will respect you for trying to do it. Now there's a way to do it where you don't come across as disrespectful. I think that's the key is you can't come across as the know-it-all and the slime nose little kid because I've done that and that doesn't get you very far either. So, But I think there are ways to recreate the work or make recommendations um, and push back respectfully in a way where you build trust Uh, as well. But yeah, it it takes time. It's not an overnight process. Yeah. I think back to my busy work early on and it was called the 
communicator. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, no. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And so the yep. communicator was this internal document that I was in charge of putting together. And back in the day, for all of you design nerds out there, I did it in Quark. Like, that's how Ooh, old I, I am. I, yep. I laid it out in Quark. There was no InDesign at that time. And basically, it was this document that I had to do bi-weekly and it would go out to the stores and it would tell them what their floor plan was, what the new things are that are coming, yada, yada, yada. And it was a drain on my time because I didn't enjoy doing it. And I felt like a lot of times the stores didn't even look at it anyway. So what I did was I created a template for it and I just got very quick at doing it so that then I could move on to doing the things that I really loved. And that was doing video with Adrian. That was doing graphics. And that's how I actually got to become a graphic designer as opposed to uh, the communications coordinator, if you remember. Um, I still had to like hold on to some of that busy work that I was doing, but it gave me time to actually do the stuff that I really enjoyed doing, which was the design work instead. So I would encourage you if you're at that just like what Adrian said, if you're at that early stage in your career where, hey, I'm getting busy work, how can I template it? Uh, to your point, Adrian, if it's if it's a report, how can I bullet point it, make it look really good on one sheet? Um, and how can I always deliver early? Uh, that's the biggest thing, right? So if there's busy work out there and your boss is having to check in with you to see, hey, where's it at? Are you done with that yet? Uh, you it should have already been done. Like this is the kind of stuff busy work is identifiable because it should have already been done. It's that easy and it's just repeatable. Just get it done um, and try to template it so that you can move on to do other things that you really do love. Yeah. And I think one thing I don't want listeners to um, underestimate is this. It makes a difference in your career. And so there are people who had Daryl's job who are still doing what he was doing. They are still the in-store communications coordinator dropping in the stuff because they weren't able to like tweak and learn a new skill set and to and to grow. Right. And so they're and I'm not knocking it. It sounds very and I'm very, very cautious and sensitive to the fact that it makes it seem like I'm judging their career trajectory. And there are a number of reasons why people might just, you know, kind of have a have a flat season in their career for a number of reasons. But I, what I'm saying is this. Because he was able to not only fulfill his potential, but fulfill his purpose by growing into a field. So he's able to design. He's done photography. He's done development. He's done all these marketing and visual design skills because he was able to recreate that early kind of work. And I look at my career. It was very similar. was able to take different little projects. I mean, so a foot action, I'll keep it real. I mean, I got the crappiest stuff. I mean, I was doing, I was writing marketing plans for a brand called uh, Brick City. Mm. And was it, was it Players University? You remember like, like, and so. Yeah. Like, yeah. Brick was, City, Players and, University and South yeah. Pole. I think all three yeah, of those. So, are, yeah. I was like, they didn't get, I, I walked in, I was the youngest guy in the marketing team. I did not get like the Nike Adidas shoots or no, I got like Brick City Players University. I got the in-store appearance with the random, like, I don't know, like 70-year-old basketball player signing autographs from, you know, 1908. I mean, I didn't get good stuff, Mm -hmm. but I think I always found those ways to add my spin, add my thing to it. And I think that's the piece. What I loved about my early career is that I was able to do marketing. I was able to translate busy work into doing marketing and learn. And so I think the best thing... And advice I could say is like, always be learning. Like, take that busy stuff and like, find the nugget of learning, of education, of knowledge, something, a surprise you get from a customer or whatever it is. And so whatever field you're in, whether you're in education and you're having to do something for the for the principal, find that thing that's going to like stay with you long term beyond that project. And I think that's going to be a key mm-hmm. investment. I think in your skill set. Well, while we're sharing fun foot action stories, mine was after I got the communicator done and I knew that 
our photographer at that time wasn't very good at his job um, and he was always calling out sick so I would sneak into the photography studio which is really just a closet with a light table in it right? Yeah, I which that. I had helped him set up um, and I would grab the camera and I would just start shooting stuff and if you remember this we were the first people to shoot the back and bottom of a shoe and that was a no-no before that. Like nobody shot the backs or bottoms or lifted them up in the air um, because they were all shot three-quarter because that made a shoe look smaller. And that's the way it had traditionally been been done. But man, once we started playing with stuff, we were like, man, we actually like this better. And now that's common today, right? Like you'll walk into any shoe store in the world and you're going to see the back or bottom of a shoe. It's lifted up in the air. It looks almost three-dimensional. But like at the time, 2001, 2002, nobody was doing that stuff. And all of that stuff kind of came because we had the space to play around because I got my busy work done, right? I got my decoy done early so I could move on to stuff that really mattered. To be honest... It was just stuff that fulfilled me more. And I think maybe that's an important takeaway here is that you're going to have stuff early in your career that's busy work that you've got to do to be a part of the team that grows you in your career. But it's not really that fulfilling. But if you want to do the stuff that's fulfilling, you've got to get that busy work done. Yeah, it's good. And now, I mean, I reflect on Duro when he uh, got the opportunity to do some of the work with like Soul Collector Magazine. He's worked with Nike and Brand Jordan. It was that stuff. It was that kind of close-up macro shot of the shoe of the like the new Jordan. Yeah. It was like the detail of the back of the shoe. It was the it was the the sole of the shoe. Like stuff that yeah, he's right. And so no, I'm 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 co-signing. Like it those little things made such a outsized impact, I think, because you were able to to recreate your work. So I think there is something to I think about, um, you know, the perception of change uh, is not more important than actual change. So focus on actual results. Yeah. I think if I had to sum this whole thing up, actual results. I'm learning something new. I'm getting 1% better at a skill. I am able to uh, build trust with my team. Like, focus on the actual result and the other stuff will come. Like, the award that you want to get or the recognition you want to get. Or whatever that magazine article that wants, you want people to talk about you, or that cover of the magazine, whatever that is, I am living proof it will happen. Somebody will pick you and say, "Yeah, you're great," and it'll be awesome. But because you weren't living for that, it, it it'll be like just another thing. And and so that's the that's the that's the key when you start to put your focus and your pride and your energy to getting uh, recognition. It can start to hinder, I think, your focus, especially early in your career. I think later in your career, especially, you know, when you've kind of made, you know, a certain mark, you can kind of coast a little bit, meaning you can kind of start to solve for uh, perception. I mean, I, I got a number of, uh, you know, I think uh, CMO or VP of marketing buddies that I'm like, man, they're speaking every week at a cool conference and doing something cool. I'm like, that's their thing, right? Um, they earned it. They can do that. But when you're early in your career, Focus on the basics, drive the results. Trust me, it will pay yeah. off. So a lot of what you just said feels like it came from a book, Adrian. Did you happen to read some really good ones that you could share tonight? <sighs> uh, a couple. So I will share that this is a blast from the past. Uh, actually, one of the first marketing books I ever bought. So I wasn't a natural reader. I didn't have a big bookshelf like I do behind me. It's a book called Your Marketing Sucks mm. by Mark Stevens. And so I, remember I bought it. I think I was wait, waiting on the train one, at one point in New York, and I, I bought it in you know one of the one of the little bookstores that are in like Penn Station. And I took the cover off of it because I was reading it at work. And I didn't want people to like get offended because <laughs> the book is literally tired. Your marketing sucks. And it was the first book that challenged me to think about marketing from like, dude, just driving results. Like, stop what you're doing challenge all the norms. He called it extreme marketing, like learning quickly, like identifying what, what works. And so I remember reading this book uh, and it, it, it changed how I viewed my job. And so your marketing sucks by Mark Stevens. If you're in marketing, obviously, you know, uh, this was like 15 years ago. So I'm sure a lot of what was uh, groundbreaking for me then is actually common now, but just in business, um, here's a really good book called measure what matters. Uh, it's by John Dewar, um, and he is a tech background, but I love what he does because 
Um, he uses it's a system that a lot of tech. So I use it into it. Google does the same thing. It's called uh, OKR. So objectives and key results. And so it's just a system for breaking down a task or a goal as a team by the objective and what is the result you're driving. Right. And so here's a really quick and dirty example. Uh, I don't know. Jerry Jones, he owns the Dallas Cowboys. Right. His goal is to win a Super Bowl and make $10 billion this year. Right. So we we know that that hasn't (laughs) happened in a long time for you Cowboys fans out there. Well, he's going to make the $10 billion. He's not going to win a Super Bowl. So, yeah, this is purely hypothetical because I don't think they're going to win anytime soon. Sorry, Alicia. I do love you. Um, So, look, so he's got these two these two goals. He goes, he's going to give the coach the job of, all right, win the Super Bowl. He's going to give his GM and his business team the job of make 10 – and each one of them is going to say, all right, the offensive coordinator, what is your job to win the Super Bowl? All right, defensive coordinator, what is your job? And so you break it down by, like, your team. So you take these big, big goals and you break them down and they're measurable, they're schedulable, they are auditable, and they are just key yes or no goals, right? There is no gray area. And so that's what I learned when I was into it um, to write my results as yes or no's. So when my when my performance review happens every year and I'm sitting in front of a CMO or a CEO and I'm talking about, hey, did I reach my results? It's a quick conversation. It's yes, no, because I built that into it. Are we the number one most t- talked about tequila brand in the world? Do we grow our domestic uh, sales by 10 percent? Uh, do we get at least a 95% engagement score for our employee uh, survey? Like, yes, no. And I know somebody's freaking out right now because it seems like if I make a yes, no goal and I don't hit it, I'm going to have a whole list of no's. Well, you still get credit because you did it that way. Trust me. The worst thing in the world is to have a performance review where you have to explain for two pages why why you hit a result. It's the worst. So trust me, get the book, Measure What Matters, John Dewar. It's a great system for not only challenging you to write your goals and results, but also how you lead a team and focus on the few KPIs that matter and, and to teach them how to do it themselves. So it changes how you operate as a team. So you have dynamic, shareable, transparent goals and you're all working toward the same. Man, end. that's so good. I'm going to pick that one up because I've never read that before. And one of the notes that I had written to myself about tonight's conversation was I believe that a lot of people just lack the definition of what their goal is. And so what you just said is, is, man, it makes it so clear. It's binary. It's yes or no. Did I hit it or did I not hit it? Yeah. 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 You make it super easy. And then I think the thing is, cause you'll start to make those incremental moves towards it. So even if you don't reach it, um, I've seen people, let's get into it. Uh, this is where I was uh, introduced to this management style, which I, I would say is, Super helpful, I think, in large organizations because everybody has sometimes competing priorities and you're all kind of, you know, you're all, you know, you're all volleying for the same resources, procuring budget Mm -hmm. or talent or I need a team. And so the ability to like just take a step back and truly articulate what objectives you're solving for, A, it only makes you stand out as a leader, but it also makes it easier for other people to plug into your vision. Even if I'm doing something where somebody disagrees with how I'm doing it. They can still adopt the vision. Like, you know, I get it. I don't agree with how you're doing it, but you know, I get it. And that becomes a a, 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 a really a, a big mound of, I think, support and a big outcry of, uh, of alliance you can build uh, in an organization. So I think, remember, your goals aren't just for you. Their goals are for your team. So you can be a visionary to lead them as well. So, yeah, highly recommend the book. It's a great system. Not for every company, but I, I'd say at least as a leader in a project. You can do this no matter what your title is because you can you can implement this um, on even a project on a small yeah. basis. Uh, so my book for tonight is Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. And I know a lot of you guys mm-hmm. out there are thinking, like, how in the world does Lewis and Clark's adventure have to do with dangerous decoys? And I think it's exactly what Adrian just described. Like, they had a very specific goal. It was to go from the last point on the map that was well documented, which was St. Louis, all the way to the mouth of the Columbia River, right? They knew that that existed somewhere, but they literally had no map in between. So there was no way that they could have known exactly what the path was from St. Louis to the mouth of the Columbia River. 
But along the way, they could not get distracted. They had to stay focused on their goal. And then they had so many challenges. But they came back without losing one man. And that is unbelievable. There's also a note in here early on where Meriwether Lewis did get distracted. And Lewis got distracted on this project about building a metal boat. And he spent way too much time in Pittsburgh like building this metal boat that he thought was going to be perfect for the journey later on. And as you parallel this with like your own journey in business, right? Like how many times do you spend way too much time and money and energy on this thing that you think is going to be so important for later on in the journey. And the truth was, is they got about halfway through the journey and they went to use this metal boat. It didn't work out. They had lugged this thing all the way along the journey, this heavy metal boat to reassemble it and then put new skins over top of it. And it didn't work out because the, they, they didn't have certain elements that they needed when they got out west compared to what they had on the east coast. And so how many times in our business have we done that, right? Like we've, we've thought we needed this thing. We spent so much money and energy on it because at this point we had these operating tools. And then once we get a year or two years down the road, like those things aren't relevant. We don't even have them anymore. That people, that person has moved on to another job and we spent all that time and energy. So looking back, it was very clear that Lewis would have just went ahead and started the journey without spending so much time and energy on getting that boat made in Pittsburgh. And the book is just amazing. Stephen Ambrose is an amazing writer. You learn so much about, um, the 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 journey out west you realize that they actually had less information about America between St. Louis and the mouth of the Columbia River than we did about the moon when we went to it that's really cool yeah that sounds exciting i think it's a great and fitting i think example of i think why a decoy can be dangerous but while why also letting it go can be so rewarding i think when you can drop the the appearance of success and pursue actual success when you can stop trying to display success and start doing success that that becomes it and success is however you define it whether it's finding the mouth of the Cumbly river whether it's running the half marathon or actually getting the crossfit in the morning leading <laughs> the project getting the promotion whatever it is it doesn't matter in your business but the only way you're gonna do that is because you got limited time limited resources limited energy you're not going to be able to do it all don't solve for the appearance and the illusion. Solve for the actual results. And eventually, day by day, you'll get there. Yeah. And, you know, Meriwether Lewis would have been one of those guys that would have been guilty of uh, paralysis by analysis. Like, he had the whole trip planned out. He had everything super well organized. But, you know, like Mike Tyson said, like, you've got to plan until somebody punches you in the face. <laughs> and that's what happened. And yeah. because his partner was William Clark along the way, who was just a man of action, he was well-trained, he had seen war, he was the perfect partner for this. And so I think, you know, this is a bigger metaphor, but in your own business, like, don't get paralyzed by over-planning. Put together a general plan that seems good and then take action. That's so good. All right, if you had to sum up, Daryl's anti-dangerous decoy advice in one sentence, what would it be? If I had to sum up my position on dangerous decoys, it would be simply don't get distracted by things that don't matter at the end of the day. And I think that goes back to your point about defining what the goal is. So when we were in college, and this is something that we talk often uh, to college students about right now as they're getting ready to come out and their biggest concern is finding a job, they've been graded on whether they got the work done and how good the work was. It was on a scale, A, B, C, D, or fail, right? When you hit the real world, it becomes binary. It's yes or no. It's to your point about did I hit my goal or did I not hit my goal? Did we make the sale? Did we not make the sale? Yeah, there's a range in there, but your biggest question has been before, how do I know when to stop and when is it good enough? You know, because you've been worried about getting an, a letter grade. Now you need to be worried about like putting food on your table. You need to be worried about like your business surviving. You need to be worried about like closing the deal. And in, especially in the season that we're coming out of, every deal matters. Like 
Every sale matters. How do I really make an impact on that bottom line? So you have to understand that things are binary. Don't get distracted by what you think is important, right? Don't get distracted by that busy work and really stay focused on like, how can I impact actual conversions, actual sales? Like how can I make a difference to the bottom line of this business? I love that. See, you're wise after all. And good looking. Somebody should marry you. Oh, God bless Johanna. Too late. What about you? Like, what's the big takeaway for you with de- oh, decoys? And like, what are you doing right now in your business? I guess, you know, it's, it's the push to stop checking boxes and start hmm. checking your motives. So don't just check the box because you think it's what you're supposed to do and what the person expects of you, uh, your manager, your leader, your team. You know, be okay. Say no to busy work. Say no to vanity awards, conferences, events. Say no to perception of success and lock in for the long term. You know, um, yeah. So, and th- th- that's what I'm focused on. Is it's like thinking long term, encouraging my team t- to do the same. And here's the deal: the only key to do that, you got to be okay changing your mind. You got to be okay quitting commitments that no longer serve your vision. And so, as soon as you know it's busy work. As soon as that duck realizes it's a decoy, Pull up. as soon as, you know, you, yeah, as, as soon as you realize it, because yeah. we all have them, whether it's our personal life, professional life, as soon as you realize, like, take action, like, shuffle your priorities, question everything, don't just do status quo because someone expects it of you, take control mm-hmm. of it as well. So, yeah, don't, don't do busy work, check your motives, uh, don't check the boxes, and as soon as you realize it, it's okay to change your mind. And yep. pull up. <laughs> Don't be the duck that goes to the decoy just because Bang. everybody else is there. Yeah. Right. I'm going <laughs> to leave you with this last challenge. If you're out there and you're listening to Unfollow Podcast and you're a boss, if you are a supervisor, you're in the role where you're making the decision for your team about busy work, right? I want to challenge you to look at the work that you're tasking your team with and saying, yeah, I, I'm choosing to avoid busy work, but am I handing down busy work? Am I handing down work that at the end of the day really won't leave my inbox? Like, I, I think you can be guilty of that. Stop wasting your advertising or marketing budget with an agency with things that don't matter, things that aren't going to go anywhere. In this COVID season, like we've had to really look at all of our budgets and we've cut them. And we've had to, these are things that we would have never done before because we were afraid of it, right? But at the end of the day, you find out what really has been making a difference in your business and what you've just been doing to make yourself feel better. So I would challenge any leader that's out there listening to this podcast, like, what are you tasking your team with or what are you spending budget on that you've had the sneaking suspicion that it's busy work and you have not stopped it just because you felt like you had to hand it out as a leader or you're going to lose your budget, you know, like you needed to keep your team busy. I'm going to challenge you on that, man. Like stop doing it. Yeah. I love it, man. I love this discussion. I think it was candid. Um, I think you brought up uh, some amazing points as well. So if you're a listener, thank you for rocking with us. Don't forget subscribe podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, share us online. If you like us, uh, write a review if you love us and continue to listen up. Stay tuned for what's new and next on Unfollow Podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Hey guys, this is DC and this was the Unfollow Podcast. We hope you like what you heard today. And if you didn't, that's okay. There's a hundred thousand other podcasts you can choose to subscribe to. But if you like this one, do us a favor and subscribe or share it with a friend.